Before we dive deep in our interview, just a small announcement. Now you can become a Patreon of this podcast. And as a member, you will receive exclusive content, community access, behind-the-scene updates, and the pride of fueling the work that matters to you. So go in the link on the show notes and make your small donation and become a patron of the Founders Club podcast. Thank you. Giuseppe, welcome to the Founders Club podcast. Thank you, Giorgio. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. All right, so let's uh, dive deep into our conversation. And uh, first of all, I'd like to start with a question that I usually address to most of the tech founders that join uh, my podcast, which is, and the question is, what is the problem that you try to solve at play to speak and why it is important to you? Wow, there's the dynamite question. Okay. Um, I like to start very, very yeah. broad and then we can narrow down. <laughs> I mean, sure, you can ask how I am, how my family is. No, no, let's, let's get to the, to the nut and chaser. So yeah, the question, what is it? We are trying to solve this, this phenomenon that only exists if you know to look, okay? If you're learning a language, in a Latin country or Asian country, and you want to speak it, let's say English, and you speak it to natives, there's a good chance you run into this culture of fear, this, this, this inhibition, something that, that, that doesn't make you practice as well as an Anglophone would practice in a language because they, they have this, this trial, fail, and you know, succeed method where a French person will say, hmm, I don't speak well, so I'd rather not speak. Spanish will be a fear of failure. Asians will make sure that it's all perfect before they even talk. Whatever your, re your reason is, um, we found that this phenomenon exists, this anxiety, and a lot of it had to do with just uh, the confidence in speaking. So the problem we're trying to solve is we're trying to help people improve their confidence when talking uh, and learning. So, that, so it has a positive effect in their learning. And we do that with our product by, by removing the person, the actual native person. And we put like a robot, you know, we put our, our human bot or character and you have a conversation with that character. So there's no more judging. You don't feel that you're, you're going to make a mistake and people will laugh at you. You're just in a world having fun and you open up. So that's, in a nut, that's what we're trying to accomplish and why we think it's, it's interesting because it's, it's everywhere, but you don't know unless you're looking because you're learning a language and you, you experience it. Right. So uh, I, think, I think you hit something, uh, something interesting, which is uh, one aspect of when you learn a language first time and the fear of speaking, this uh, feeling of anxiety to, to actually speak what you are learning in school or reading from a book that fear of getting, of being judged of based on your pronunciation. And I recognize myself as a learner of different languages. For instance, when I was in uh, Shanghai learning Mandarin, and, and Mandarin is one of those languages that you actually have to practice a lot on speaking. And if you uh, don't pronounce correctly the tones, being Mandarin a tonal language, then you can be misunderstood and you can have some awkward 
uh, awkward conversation with the uh, people that you try to speak. And, but obviously it depends, I guess, um, how uh, outgoing or out introvert or extrovert you are. So I, I guess to some degree, if you're more extrovert, you're more willing to speak with uh, with people who, even though your level, it's very low, but as, you're, as you are an introvert, I think the challenge of speaking, it's getting harder and harder. So I think, I think, so I, what, what I guess I want to ask is to whom you most of the time, this product or whatever you guys trying to, the problem you try to solve, like what will be the people or the target market you usually try to address mostly? Okay. Um, when we, when we thought about the idea, the market is, is huge because we have, you have adults who are learning a new language, just pick English. Okay. But you can do it for other languages. You have adults learning for professional, for uh, recreational. You also have kids that start at a young age, depending right. on the country and so forth. So we can attack all ranges, but we decide to focus, obviously, as a startup does, and the style of graphics, the style of approach. We seem to interest a lot of the 10 to 14-year-olds, so the early teens, and the early teens um, is when it starts to get interesting and they can actually have a conversation. In addition to, um, it's also an age where uh, if you have an Asian orientation, you, you, you come to, let's say, an Anglo-Saxon school to learn English. Um, right. Culturally, there's also like an acceptance where in Europe, it's not as accepted for some reason. It's just cultural. Like a lot of them still have, in Spain, they still love their paper, pencil, uh, uh, CDs, and they listen to stuff. It's how you grow up. But that is more of our target. We target those younger age, open to new technologies, open to try things, and they've gamified all their life playing on games since they were right. kids. So to them, it's not even like, it's second nature. Yeah, I think, I think you, you touched different points that I want to decompile a little bit and talk with you also. Um, but bes before going there, um, I'm more curious to know what was the origin story of you guys uh, starting this company, if you can uh, walk me a little bit some years backwards in time. Mm. Okay, so can I say it was, it was because of a woman? No, well, I don't know. That that seems like a movie. Um, <laughs> my uh, interesting yeah. movie, though. Let's 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 say, let's say it started because of my wife. Okay. She, I hope she doesn't watch this. Anyhow, um, we moved to Spain because she had a great career opportunity and. It was just the most logical thing to do, support her and move with her. So I moved to Spain and I wanted to create a company. And while I joined um, the Founders Institute, which is where you, you start as a startup and you get ideas, I started digging, you know, and I was, a learning, and I was learning Spanish at that time too. And I suck at languages. So I know four <laughs> languages, but I'm not good at any. And um, you practice. And it was horrible to practice. I just wanted to like play games, not practice. Right. And my wife goes, well, why don't you like, why don't you make a game for, for, for language learning? Because 
we were, we were looking into virtual reality and uh, you know when she gave me the scenario like what if you were able to practice you know uh, a scenario by putting on a headset and i'm going so that inception, that, that idea fueled a chain of events from 2017 where I went to a pitch competition, I won the pitch competition, I, met, I got into a program, I met my co-founders, one from Italy, one from Spain, and then the rest was history. We decided to make something that was different. At the time, people were like, language learning, restaurant, language learning, taxi drive. And I'm like, not another taxi ride, not another restaurant. Can we do something else? What about a boat? Oh yeah, boats are cool. So let's do something with a tour guide or a boat or a, or a, you know, a man of mystery. And that's how it all started. I mean, if I had to look back, maybe a little focus would have been better. But what we knew is 2017 and what we know now is just, you know, light years. I so, just... I just want to, to ask you, uh, so when you first started, what was the product like and on the way, what are the lessons that you learned and enable you to pivot or iterate the product that in what is today? Yeah, um, no problem. So the product, we got into, we were in VR, okay? So when I pitched the idea, it, it makes sense in virtual reality. And if you haven't used virtual reality, um, I'll just explain to you, virtual reality is an environment where um, you're using 3D objects or you're using uh, videos and pictures to escape, okay? Let's just say you are drawn into a full enclosed environment and you're immersed in that environment and you interact. Now we thought that's the perfect thing for, for languages because we want to isolate you from everyone else. You don't feel embarrassed or anxious. Uh, so we were big in VR and we got um, to a point where we got into an incubator that was focused on VR. So we, we said, okay, VR, let's make a demo. And we made this story based on a bit like Monkey Island. Okay, we wanted to do a Monkey Island game uh, where you talk to the characters to advance. So big problems right there was people got bored of talking. After a couple of minutes, it was like not fun at all. You can't have a game of just talking. It, it was like, yeah, no, just wrong. And secondly, um, we missed, even though we knew it, we missed the bigger picture. The bigger picture was mobile. Not because mobile is better, but because the industry is so slow moving, we had to walk them. They weren't there yet, and they're still not there yet. So we're trying to push them something that's, that's superior in what it looks like, but they weren't ready, so they were never going to buy it, or they couldn't afford it, or it was the mismatch. And those were the big early things that we learned that we had to, um, the technology doesn't matter that much, because they're still catching up and it's, and it's probably good enough. And then as we, as we shifted our product and we made it more adapted to like short, quick um, experiences that you can practice in two, three minutes, stop. And we made it more mobile related, uh, the people started to get it. But we were like, we're amazing. Let's, let's do this awesome thing. And then the market said, no, <laughs> no, no. You're not ready. No, go away. 
and yeah that that was fun that was fun yeah. to learn yeah i can i can see those painful lessons that uh, we as well had to go to some degree experienced being too early in the market and dealing with the industry that is uh, very slow at adopting new technology because i, I don't know I, I still don't understand why education it's it's so slow at adopting new technology and uh, still you have to go to a class, use paper, PDF, and this, you have this boring experience. Did you come with any conclusion about that? Like, <laughs> what is your explanation um, that you gave to yourself? Yeah, I think there are a couple of reasons. Political is one of them. Okay, the first one is politics. A lot of this is money that has to be managed and who's already inside the circle closes the circle. I mean, there are a lot of ed tech companies out there with little solutions, but you have to get to the people who make a decision. And a lot of times these people making decisions are already making decisions with other big companies that are making decisions. So the Apples, the, the, you know, the Lenovo's, the whatever, the guys that are already there and they're just gonna come with these awesome gadgets and awesome solutions, big and you're a small person, chances are your product doesn't even work on the hardware they have. Right. And that's another no-no. It's like, oh, we have a platform that does this, this, this. Okay. Well, the school has a platform that does this, this, this. Do you work on their platform? No. Well, sorry, they're not going to go and buy your platform too, just to add it on. So there's an operability issue. You have to make sure that it connects. And... Um, you also have the old school. We were, we were dealing with a school in um, Latin America where a uh, majority of the teachers liked the product. Mm -hmm. One didn't. And so, that one was an older generation. Battle Axe killed it. He said, no, don't right. like it. And so there you go. The, right. So there are the influencers who kind of like, like the product, but the decision makers... Like say no, we we are not willing to adopt this technology to pay for it, uh, especially so, if it doesn't have any kind of integration with what we already have. So the so-called uh, sunk cost that we already spend money for. Yeah, it's like banks. There's a there's a legacy. Okay, you got legacy equipment, legacy stuff, and and all you're doing is building on top of existing uh, infrastructures that are probably outdated. And you got to tell the you got to tell the the schools, let alone their overworked understaffed and they got to adopt a new technology no that is why the smartest route is to go to the weakest easiest denomination which is mobile at the moment chromebooks and and tablets and then walk with them take their hands walk with them and bring them to where you want them to be so that they share your vision and that, that, that is, I think, how you attack the education system today. And also make partners so you have many, many products on one platform so that they don't have to buy all these platforms. They just buy one. Yeah, Steam. I mean, right. Steam, kind of. So having that uh, platform, all, all things in one place, it's yeah. that it's a must. So in terms of uh, business model that you guys have and decision makers that you have to convince, can you walk a little bit more uh, about that? Uh, how do you deal with uh, decision makers and what is the business model that you have behind? Yeah, so 
we offer a subscription. Okay, you have our product, you play it uh, per year, you got a contract, and we install it on a headset. So you have virtual reality headsets. We're going to be on. We're on computers, and soon we'll be on phones as well. Okay, so agnostic, you know, all platforms, and you pay either per license that you distribute to your students, or you pay um, per station. Right now, it's a lot easier. We just do per station. So I'll give you an example. If you have a headset, the headset will have the game inside. You can play uh, the game as much as you want for all one year. You pay a, a certain fee, and we upload it, and then we remove it. And that's it. But You're ready to go. And you're ready to go. Now you can also be with, uh, we're also partners with some very cool companies like Veative Labs, and they are also big in the industry. They're in 25 countries. We think the best approach is going to be putting play to speak with a lot of the platforms that are already in the schools so that the school doesn't have to burden themselves with a new headset or uh, another device to manage. Once it's in the platform, they access it like Netflix, and there you go. And that is probably the way we should go. Whom do you see, or which companies or tech companies do you see as competitor within the VR language tech industry or main, your main direct competitors, if there are any? Because I oh, don't there are. know many. There are. I don't know many VR companies, maybe because I'm not aware of them, but uh, how, who, who are those people or guys? But you see, you, you, you said the magic thing because you're not aware of them. Um, yeah, so the, the question is, who are the competitors? We deal in, in a three industry, three market segment. So we have AI conversation, AI in education, AI, uh, VR in education, and digital English language learning. So digital English language learning is a subsection of the English language learning, which is a huge market. Digital language learning, you got the guys like VipKids. You got the guys like um, uh, the, the, the Berlitz, you know, the, the Babel, all these guys. These are really huge companies, okay? Either they are peer-to-peer -peer or they use a technology for peer-to-peer. Okay. Right. As for VR and language learning, well, that we have some competitors, some some really cool guys. Vative is one. They offer uh, VR language learning. Um, Immerse Online just got a seed funding. Uh, really cool company or Series A, I think. Um, you got Immerse Me. These are all companies that use virtual reality with a person behind it to talk to someone else or virtual reality, a character like I have, and you interact. Right. Okay. Vitro from Canada is also another company too. But what's the difference? The difference is the AI that you talk to, a lot of times you have text that you're reading. You know, they, they, you might get some um, you might get some sound. So they might say, how are you today? And you read it. And then you respond and they tell you what to choose. And that kills the immersion. Or it's very limited. So you speak 
it hears you, but the response mechanism is limited. You know, it will have very few nodes and it won't go any further. And that, that is what we're trying to differentiate. We want to give you more options so the conversation becomes more natural. You know, how are you today? I'm feeling well. Oh, good. Or I'm not feeling well. I'm pretty sick. So right. we made it understand that you're not well. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, that's what we're trying to do. And we don't see it being done as well in the world. Now, people are doing it, but I don't see it like, I just don't see it as a mainstream solution yet. Right. In terms of uh, ad tech industry, I think now we are seeing a lot of change and development, especially pre and post COVID. How, mm. how, according like for what you have seen in your specific niche, how it was before uh, like this change, what the change, the COVID changes entail in your industry, your, at least your niche? Well, yeah, man, it's in general. Look at this. Before, what do we have? We had teachers giving course notes, talking to students. COVID hit. Now we have students, they're not in class. Well, they weren't in class. Now they're in class, but before. Let's talk about March. Where were they? They were at home. So what happened? You had internet issues for those who didn't have good internet. And you had teachers who had material and they had technology. But the technology and the material weren't made designed for each other. They were just, I'm going to use Skype or Zoom and talk about the courses to my students. They adapted. But they didn't design the course for the technology. They just stuffed it in to the technology. So right. what ended up happening was didn't work. It wasn't efficient. They, right. they, it wasn't even effective. They didn't get through to a lot of people. And they were wondering, what do we do? And the COVID, what happened was COVID pushed the adoption. So with good new technology, we were in the early phases, you know, the early adopters. Right. And then, and then, we, then we shifted to a little bit more of a majority. Well, the, I forgot the exact names. But early, early adopters. Early adopters. But what happened was they weren't ready. They didn't get like, no one showed them how to use it. No one taught them how to put it in. I'm being facetious, of course, they were taught, but not everyone was taught. So they're here struggling using Zoom, using online classrooms, using whatever, but they weren't formed, they weren't trained for it. And again, uh, they're looking for solutions. So the industry accelerated, but they weren't ready for it. And right. that's what COVID brought to them. Now it brought to them also opportunity, I think, I think. Uh, I was speaking to a school who got decimated, like 70% they lost of, of students. Bam, gone. What do they do? Close shop or they, they change their model. So they're looking at virtual classrooms where you have either avatars or real people and they talk to each other and you, you use objects to show stuff. So like engage VR and stuff like that, alt space. And that's where people are going towards and I think that's that's really interesting because now that breaks down barriers um, what if Harvard because this was a debate too, Harvard can offer online courses at like a really expensive price is it worth the name brand Harvard is it worth spending tens of thousands for an online course and it also flipped the other side now instead of having only a hundred students attending your university you have 
thousands because you just made a world open to many people. So it leaves a world full of opportunities. You just need to be now smart in how you advance. You don't start getting Chromebooks and putting stuff on there. You actually think, you know, dematerialized classrooms. I think that is probably the way we're going. Among the different operators or companies, do you see anyone having an edge? Maybe the Googles, the Microsoft, the Zooms themselves. I think my own view is that Zoom may have an edge because they have a lot of users who are using their platform. But obviously it's not geared towards, let's say, education. So they have an edge because they have the users. But the platform itself that they leverage still has a lot of space of improvement. Do you see any other players that can take, that can be the uh, winners, winner take all market? I mean, what are we looking at? Are we looking at replacing Zoom? Or maybe Zoom being the go. Sorry, Zoom, in case you're listening to our conversation. <laughs> Or maybe with Zoom being the only player who will stand out in, let's say, education, obviously. It is why would edge. they, why should they? I don't understand. Like, what advantage are we going to have if Zoom becomes a default, de facto solution for post-COVID? I don't see it becoming, but I see the potential of it to be one of the default. You know what I mean? Why? What does Zoom offer that Skype didn't offer well? Is it the multiple users? Is that it? The, the easier interface? Um, pr well, not much. I think they managed to, they, they have this advantage of where they have the users. Now, if they're smart, I think, if they're smart, they will allow some API integration so other players that are in the space can integrate their own software, their own uh, software with the connection one-to-one -one that Zoom enables for one-to-many. And then you can build on top of that. But uh, I see. I see what you mean. I see what you the mean. Potential. Do you see any or not really any others? I mean, I see your potential, what you're saying. But that would mean they, they'd be shifting now. You know, they're not a communication device. They'd be more now uh, a multi peer collaboration device. Yeah, they, that call allows them, you to... yeah. they call themselves a marketplace or something like that. I saw lately. So Zoom is now a marketplace. So they managed quickly to pivot a little bit their communication strategy. Obviously, the product is not yet improved or has to improve in many aspects. But what I see now, they're kind of like aware of what's going on. I mean, right now, you've got a couple guys coming in. Meetin, I think it's called. Meetin VR. Um, you have Spaces. You have, um, you have the free guys, the Alt Space VR. It doesn't have to be VR, it can be on your laptop. You got players in Australia like uh, Smartstone Technologies that make their own classrooms. Um, I mean, could, could, could the Zoom-like companies revolutionize education? I, I don't, I hope not. I hope not. Um, I hope it's, I gave a presentation the other day to I think it was like 12 people. It was not fun. It was horrible. 
You can't interact. Everyone's on mute. If they don't unmute, they're uncomfortable. They don't know how to talk, when to talk. You're trying to have a workshop or you're trying to have a talk and you just, I mean, this cannot be how we evolve in education. No matter what factor you add in, like it has to be something else. And I, I totally believe the virtual world where you can roam where if you have an extra app that's an API that's attached to, let's say, your world and you want to go access that, you just open a door and you go into it, you know, you're, you're, making, you're making the Oasis here. If you've watched uh, Ready Player One, if not, that's fine. Um, you're making a virtual world where you can access all kinds of things. I think that is where we should be going. And the Zooms of the world, even though they, they serve a function, um, it's not a complete function. No, because your interaction is always going to be very awkward. So let me ask you this follow-up question then. How do, where do you see the education industry or the Zoom in the world of the world in the next five years? Wow, five years in, in ed tech is like one. <laughs> okay, ed, ed tech in general is slow moving. So I will see them starting to adopt a couple of these new technologies that that penetrated that that survived the billing cycles and and were able to um, offer schools uh, interactions and learning courses I hopefully would like to see them with a lot of a lot of immersive texts using uh, either VR 2d like not 2d VR but using VR on laptops or, or tablets if they have to it's not real VR but whatever it's virtual uh, maybe even some headsets and so forth what I would like to see them do is do things that education is meant to do outside of the books world. I'm supposed to go to school and learn. Some things are taught on books because that was a technology we had at the time. Right. But we live in a 3D right. world. Stop teaching in a 2D material and start teaching in a 3D material because that's where we live in and that's how we interact. You want to show space? put them in space. You want to show physics? Watch them throw something and see the formulas as they do potential energy to kinetic energy, you know, chemistry. Um, you want to talk about social science? Bring them back in a war and see how they interact and see what it really was as someone recreates that scenario. Or talk with Napoleon. Using our product will make, will simulate what he should say from the experts and now you have a conversation with someone back in the day and you start to have a better understanding than just reading text. I'm not saying remove the books. I'm saying adapt it to a 3D world because that's where we live and work. So kind of like enriching that uh, experience and evolving from a 2D uh, to a 3D experience that can be more fun, engaging and rich. I mean, yeah, like, can we say it be more than, I'm assuming there's a lot of material out there that works and it's 2D and it's awesome, but schools have not evolved in a long, long time. Right. And, and, and the, the technology today that the students use on an everyday basis is different than it was when I was a kid. And it's different than it was when my parents were a kid. So we definitely have to adapt and change. And I really think um, a connect world helps or like some companies I see do they do quick sessions about teaching the Doppler effect so they show you a car going by you and you hear the volumes change as the car goes by you and 
and you see it and you experience it and you go, I remember. And I think that is where we need to be going. We need to go to 3D uh, immersive uh, experiment, experimental style of teaching. What would be the, some of the, or at least one advice that you would give to a founder willing to start a company to the ad tech space? Wow. Oh boy. Change space. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that because that's exactly what I'll tell to somebody. Who's... See, everyone says that change space. What do they mean? They mean don't change space. What they say is it is an extremely hard space because money is hard to find because investment returns are lower because the, build, the, the cycle, the sales cycle is really long and you have to get into institutions that are acting like mafias in some countries. Um, you can't, you can either go B to C, like let's just say WhatsApp did, get to the students and then the students bring it to the teachers and then all of a sudden you got a bottom up adoption. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Top down adoption, you need to know somebody or you need to, you need to do some good networking. Your network has to be strong because you're going against people who are not going to let you in. Now, watch some guy come up to your podcast. Now he's wrong. I know someone can get in and they're small. Yeah, I mean, good. I'm happy if they did. But the reality is you're going to be doing a lot of networking. Right. You cannot solo this industry by yourself and make a mark. Um, they won't let you in. So you want to go in ed tech? You're convinced that you can change the education one, uh, one pixel at a time? Go for it. Be ready, get help, and make a lot of friends. Talking about friends and getting help, I know that you are looking to raise a seed fund. Do you want to talk more about that? Or, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, we finally figured out what we need to do. It's what it is. Some go fast, some go slow. Our team is strong and we're tenacious. So when some people say quit, we try to figure it out. We figure it out and now we're positioning ourselves to go into the market with some good partners and we're looking for some money to take that, that product out of that phase, out of the MVP selling phase, but into a more mature uh, solution that has all the requirements that the customers are, are asking us now. So we're looking at, um, we're looking at 350,000. And this is going to um, this is going to allow us in a, within a year to make a multi-platform product. So then you can use it on on mobile, different phones, devices as well as different devices. It won't be an issue if a new device comes out. In addition to that, new content and finish up our French. We we started doing a a prototype for French and it works. Oh, wow. We got some customers there. So uh, French is what we're going to do now. Well. Yeah, yeah. Well, we no. <laughs> You're not getting the beta. <laughs> Only for <if> um, invest. <laughs> no, we, we have to um we had to focus on other things at the moment, but we, we did do the testing and, and it, it works. So we just gotta we gotta build the, the the database. Um and then lastly we wanna improve the virtual beings because we're doing language learning, but what we're offering is virtual characters that can be used in any situation. If you want to have a conversation that's not about language, but it's about training for corporate training or, or courses, 
practice or, or school. All we do is change the conversations. We have the back end AI starting to be built because we tested it through language learning. And now we just make virtual characters. So we want to stay in virtual in language learning, but we want to also show that there is a versatility in this product that's long game. That's not just language. Is, is this your first time raising money with the company where you already had some experience in raising funds uh, before? Yeah, we, we, raised, um, we raised a small amount. We raised 51,000 uh, last year. It was to get us to pivot. Um, we did it through Cedars. We had 100 backers. Um, basically, we told you in the beginning, we made a product, but the market wasn't ready. It was B2C. Uh, everyone wanted the, 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 they wanted the killer games, the zombie games, the, the big ass action games. The we dog. had a language learning game and it wasn't, it wasn't right at the market. So we switched, we went to B2C, B2B. So we went to focus on in, industry um, schools and we needed some funds to do the switch. And that's what that money went to. And now that we did it, we got some clients. We showed that it works and we're getting into the market and we got partners and I think it's time to excel. And that's, yeah. that's why we're reaching out. So I think having that kind of validators, which are the clients who are already using the product, I think will increase the odds of raising the funds that you guys need. Uh, last question before wrapping up, um, what is the impact or personal impact that you want to have as a founder? I mean, Personal impact is I want to make a difference in this. It's going to sound those, those corny lines, but I really want to make a difference in this little life that we have. You know, as you get older and older, and I'm, I'm not young anymore, you know, as you get older, you start going, okay, time is number. You start seeing, do I have a purpose? Do I actually do anything uh, other than play games in my life? You know, can we change some something good in this in this world and, and i think i can shift the way education is going to give a new meaning to how we learn and that's what we want to do we want to make a difference especially in in countries where education is still slow it's still it's still clinging on to traditional ways because the teachers are old because the system doesn't want to change because whatever you know it doesn't have to be expensive to be new and innovative and we're going to do that with our product. We're going to go offline. That's what the part of the funding is going to do. So we can have, we don't need internet. You know, when you don't need internet, you can go to places now that are poor, that, that, that uh, don't have the infrastructures because all you do is you have the game and the headset and you just, here you go, play, practice. And that's a game changer. Or on a mobile, here, now practice. So... We definitely want to go and make an impact in this world and we want to do it through education as we believe um, we, can, we can make stuff that's fun to learn. And finally adapt it to our damn generation. No more CDs. No. CDs. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds super great. Giuseppe, I wish you the best and good luck in this endeavor. And moreover, thank you for joining the Founders Club podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Jojo. Thank you very much. And if you don't like something, just put some kind of fun music when I'm talking and just bleep me over and you can, it'll be fine too. I'll get it. I'll get the point. <laughs> thank you. No problem.